The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Executive Minister and Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. I have a real special show for you today. All the shows are special, but today is a real special day because I have as a guest today the Unity Scholar, Paul Hasselbeck. How are you doing, Paul? I am having another beautiful day in my consciousness. Beautiful, beautiful. So first of all, for the very few people in the New Thought world who might not know who you are, could you give people a little bit of your background as a scholar and author in the Unity movement and in the New Thought movement as a whole? Okay, so so thank you for calling me a scholar. You are. <laughs> I usually You're a scholar. Don't, I usually don't. I don't usually refer to myself that way, so it's it's a little humbling. So, <laughs> uh, thank thank you for that. So, um, wow. Uh, when I was ordained, I became of course I became a Unity minister, and I served for a, about a year and eight months for Unity Church of Overland Park here in the Kansas City area. And then I worked for the Unity Retreat Department for five years. And then I was hired on as the Dean of Spiritual Education and Enrichment at Unity Village. And I served that position, oh, I think from 2004 to 2014. And then I resigned and I simply became a full-time faculty member for Unity Institute. And then with Unity Institute, uh, was dissolved and well not dissolved but when the education was transferred from Unity Worldwide uh, with headquarters to Unity Worldwide Ministries, um, I chose not to apply for a job. So I've been a free range, retired, working hard <laughs> minister. Yes. And and while I was dean, uh, so. One of the requirements I had for taking the position for for the deanship was that we bring back these uh, books that were published in the late 1980s and another edition in the early 1990s. And they were called Metaphysics One and Metaphysics Two, and they're kind of fondly known as the Brown Edition and the Blue Edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I was just going to put that data into digitize it and and in that way review it while I was getting ready to teach it and as I was doing that I just saw things that could be improved and tweaked and after all I mean Galen we live in an age where we can do digital research and so the people who wrote those books didn't have that advantage so so I first began by finding better quotes for the different subsections and then the book evolved uh, into what is now known as heart-centered metaphysics. So I, I call it an accidental book because I didn't set out to write a textbook on heart, 
uh, on unity metaphysics. It just turned out that way. And uh, in, in, in the process, it was important for me that the traditional unity quotes be put into a gender-neutral language, and I had to get permission from Connie Fillmore to do that. Fortunately, she gra granted that. And I also found in my teaching process, it was, it was better if I used what I now call the language of oneness, a language that, that really claims that we are fully divine, while at the same time we're fully human. So I don't use language like, I'm one with God, because it's like an oxymoron. The word with means two. There's got to be two to have a with. And like I don't use the word co-creator either. So that's kind of the background as it got rolling. And about the same time, I think in 2007, I was invited to be one of the first five programs on Unity Online Radio. I was honored and delighted. And I, I had that show solo for like 10 years. And it continues now as Metaphysical Romp 2 with my co-hosts, the Reverend Doctors Bill and Cher Holton. We have a lot of fun doing that. We are no longer on the network, but we are, we are available. All you have to do is Google us. And in the process of doing that show, I began reading and commenting on unpublished material of mostly Charles Fillmore. And, and that's kind of where the scholar part comes in. I got fascinated. And I found things in there that really didn't find a place in the unity movement in a prominent way. And those things were all about our innate divinity. And um, once I start doing that and rereading the textbooks, there are many references to this across the historic texts, but they're sprinkled in there like, like breadcrumbs. Uh, the analogy I give, um, I, I wonder if it was intentional that those would be put in the books so that over time people who were interested could discover them and kind of follow the breadcrumbs. And um, yeah, so how's that for a start? <laughs> That's a great start. So first of all, let me just give you the proper title, the Reverend Paul Hasselbeck, to make sure that uh, that is properly stated. So today, Reverend Paul, we're going to talk about your book, Use the Truth You Know. Now, let me just say before I start, when I bought the book, I didn't know how much I would really enjoy the book. I enjoy all of your writings. However, this book really touched a part of my soul because I'm always looking for new ways to state old teachings. In other words, how can I bring it up to date? How can yeah. I express and explain it to people today in today's context, in today's paradigm? And when I bump into things that I question, when I was a young metaphysician, sometimes I was told, well, that's just the way it is instead of explaining to me how did they get there. I'm a, I'm a process thinker. So I want to know Good. what was the process to get people to the place of saying this versus yeah. that. And I think in your book, 
use the truth you know, which I highly recommend for those who are out there listening, you start to do some tweaks on traditional unity language. So uh, first of all, I want to ask you, and I think you explained it somewhat already around the heart center metaphysics, why address the issues of language in the unity movement? Yeah. So I, this is, again, something I backed into. It was in 2004, I guess, 2000, yeah, more like 2005, uh, when I was teaching the metaphysics classes on campus. And I would use a traditional language. I was a traditional Fillmorian. I used a traditional language. And when I got papers back from the students, I found out that they weren't understanding me because they didn't know how Charles Fillmore was redefining traditional terms like God, like Christ, like Holy Spirit, all, all of those and more. And so I set out on, on a mission to, to speak more clearly. Now, what that means is I had to find a language that the greatest number of people had the greatest opportunity to really understand what I was teaching. And as I did that, here's the, here's the funny thing. Here's like the, the, the funny trick on the metaphysician, right? Because mm-hmm. I forgot that as I changed my language, the law of mind action is always in play. Right. And so as I began to clarify my language, I clarified on the teachings. And now I think of language as a full-time spiritual practice. Mm. Mm. You know, one of the funny things about language is, you know, there are some philosophies with the human potential movements, for, for, uh, for instance, that basically state that everything exists within language, that language is a creative force. And when you create language, you're actually creating something that goes along with it. So it's interesting that when language changes, it changes the paradigms that you live from, how you see life, what your point of view is, because it's impossible to have a shift in language without having a shift in point of view. So go ahead. Excuse me. I was saying, yes, that, that is, that is exactly the point I was making, but what I was making it is that, what I, the other point I was making was I didn't even think about what, what would happen within my consciousness because I was doing this as a service to my students. And, of course, as, and, and then, then they could ask questions and then I would clarify. And, and it's been this back and forth process, uh, pretty much just like the writing of heart-centered metaphysics, is that I would, I would write new material and test it out in the classes and and the language had been tweaked and changed again. And so it was kind of vetted by usage by me and and by other ministers around the country when they would give me give me feedback. And so language is almost inseparable from our our consciousness and our understanding of paradigms. Yes, yes. So I want to get into it. 
there are a few things that you uh, start off the book addressing. Two of the things immediately are the words principle and law. Can you address yep. how you tackled those terms and why it's necessary for us to not, not throw away the old language, but to reevaluate and maybe update the language? Yeah. So, so these are these are two terms we can move forward. We can move forward with them. However, we have to be clearer on what they mean. You've probably heard me say this. My listeners, I should say your listeners have probably heard me say this. One thing I came to realize is that uh, what happens in vagueness stays in vagueness. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a vague understanding of what principle is and a vague understanding of what law is and, and conflate the two, confuse the two from time to time, which the Fillmore's did in their books, then we then we have this lack of clarity, and if you have lack of clarity, then how are you going to use that? How can I use that in a a productive way? Because you you say it in your program. This is this is not just about fun things to think about in consciousness. This is this metaphysics is a way of life. Metaphysics right. is is practical application of uh, beliefs and teachings and the like. So Myrtle and Charles, so where I got finally clear was that Charles or Myrtle would be talking about a principle, and I I said, I don't understand this. And then I finally realized, oh, they're actually describing a law, and vice versa. They'd be talking about a law, and i go, I don't, I'm not getting this, and I don't have the realization. Oh, they're talking about a principle. So when I write this book, I have to start out with what a principle is and what a law is. And then from there, we, we can build on that. And, right. and while I'm talking about this, the reason why I wrote this book is answering a question I heard for a decade from students. We, you know, we talk about principle, we talk about law. Uh, the words are in my heart-centered metaphysics book. However, it's not clearly lined out like these are the principles, these are the laws. So how can you use the truth you know if you can't name the principles and laws? Right, right. You know, it's kind of funny, Reverend Paul, when... I was teaching uh, some class from years ago. Believe it or not, I've been teaching New Thought now for about 20, 23, 24 years. About 24 mm-hmm. years now. Anyway. Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've had a lot of students over the years in the Johnny Coleman Institute and, and, and abroad. And I can remember a particular student who was asking me, why are there so many laws? Every time they pick up a book, the law of this, the law of that. And I was trying to explain to her, that's just their way of describing things. They're, they're really trying to explain the law of mind action in different ways. But all of these things are not laws. That's, in, that's impossible. Yeah. But every time they picked up a new, a new thought book, the law of this, the law of that. 
and I can yep. remember trying to explain when the law of attraction blew up around the secret that again, we're talking about the law of mind action and the person couldn't get it. And what I was trying to explain to them was, okay, if, if the law is in effect, it's, 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 it's working. It just works. <laughs> and, and that was challenging to people to understand because they're reading so much information and they're trying to figure out like, oh, you know, as I tell people all the time, oh, I need to make a demonstration. I was like, you're already demonstrating. It might not yep. be a desired demonstration, but there's no such thing as I got to make a demonstration that yep. in the context of you're not already making demonstrations. Does that make sense? Yeah, you cannot not demonstrate. Right. You cannot not met- manifest. Oh, well, if you die, it stops. On the physical plane, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, so demonstration and manifestation are always occurring because of uh, the, the law of mind action and a couple auxiliary laws. So, so, let's, so let's talk about that. So the mother or father of all laws is the law of cause and effect. Right. And, and, and then the law of mind action is an example of that. So mm-hmm. if, we, if we do it in a simple way, Thoughts held in mind produce, that's cause, Right. after they're kind. That's the effect. Now, I don't say it that way, cause that, but I'm saying that that's the way you, most listeners will know it. What I right. say is thoughts held in mind with feeling produce more thoughts with feeling in my mind. Okay. 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 So what that does is it adds the feeling nature in, which right. uh, which which traditional new thought leaders did not. Though I can authentically report that I read in a few places where Charles said, "When I say thinking, I mean thinking and feeling." Well, fast forward a hundred years later, how do we know that if it was never included in the books, and and, and it's in some obscure document. That's in Unity Archives, you see, and right. so so that so that's one of the advantages of, of digging into the archives and reading and reading and reading, and 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 picking out the 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 really juicy person, uh, the juicy parts. Now there's a there is another law that is an example of cause and effect, and it's called. Mind idea, that's not what it's called, but it is mind idea manifestation or mind idea expression. In that one, mind idea is the cause and expression or manifestation is the effect. Now, here's a very important point people to, to, to know when they're reading is that I believe that is the law that Charles Schoenler is talking about when he talks about God's law or the mm-hmm. law of God. And, and Charles had a name for it, which nobody likes. It's, that's called the law of divine order because mind idea expression is the orderly way in which everything comes into existence. It, it, so, so it's never idea mind expression. It's never mind expression idea. 
it's never expression. You, you, you see what I'm saying? So right. it's the it, it's an orderly way in which everything comes into existence. And and by the way, that that can be found in the in Charles's Twelve Powers book. And this is a curious thing that I never noticed until I started parsing out the difference between law and principle. So that chapter on order is called Spiritual Law and Order. Right. Charles, in the Twelve Powers book, sneaks in the law of God. And so order is a power, but we could also call it a principle, but we could also call it a divine idea. So, so that's another problem we have. There's a lot of words that are really synonyms for each other. So, so when we're talking about the 12 powers, there are also 12 divine ideas. There are also mm-hmm. 12 principles. Let, let me share this quote with you. Sure. And it, it's pretty powerful. Man can never exercise dominion until he knows who and what he is. And knowing brings forth that knowledge into the external by expressing it in divine order, which is mind, idea, manifestation. Now, Galen, there's a couple really important things in here. So Charles says, we can't exercise dominion until we know who and what we are. So there's the concept. We're both a who and a what. The who of us is my humanity, and the what of me is my my divinity. And I, I can't be fully in dominion until I realize that. And then that divine order is really this thing, this law, and not that there's a God ordering how everything is happening, which is the way it's commonly understood. Everything's in divine order. Well, yeah, but not because there's a God divinely ordering thing. It's because there's this law mind idea expression that everything must follow right right well you know i remember telling a person when you know we were at the church going through a few hiccups after reverend coleman retired and you know this prominent person said to me you know you don't have to worry about the church everything is in divine order and god's got it and i said uh that's inconsistent with the truth that we teach and we had to have a real serious discussion. Mm-hmm. And I just basically said, how would that be any different than, uh, you know, ancient Israelites saying, we're, everything is okay. We have the Temple of Solomon and Yahweh. And yeah. then the Chaldeans just come in and destroy everything. You yeah. know, it's like there has to be a, a conduit of expression for these divine attributes. It just yeah. doesn't function on automatic. And then I said, well, yep. you know, in the streets of Chicago, we have areas where young men and women are being shot down every day. And there are other areas that are extremely sl- safe and you can sleep on the streets. So what's yep. the difference? It's the same God. God is omnipresence. But there are some yep. people who are not experiencing God's good because it still has to be conduits for that life, that love, that power, that wisdom, that supply to show up in everyday life. Let's not get caught yep. up in the platitudes. Yep. And it well, was a moment so, of clarity because when I used the term platitudes, it clicked. 
Like we just yeah. pick these terms up and we just start spewing them without any awareness of what they mean in everyday life. And I just went yeah. back and I said one final thing. What Reverend Coleman would always say to us, go right to the metaphysics, then the practical. If you haven't taught them practical application, you haven't taught them anything. And yeah. I've always remembered that statement. Very important. And I'm going to add one more detail to what you said. Most people do not understand that even the crap that people are producing must be using divine ideas according to law to do it. Mm -hmm. Most people reserve that only the good stuff right. can be manifested from from principle or from divine idea. But no, that's not what it works. That's not how it works. Right. It's a law. It it right. works. You know, and, yes. and you don't have a choice. It works. So if if you're using mind idea expression and in a negative way, you're gonna get a negative outcome. And and so that explains evil or sin or what we like to call error. People are using truth, using divine ideas and laws in a unskilled way. Right. I love the term unskilled. I love unskilled that term. Way. Because that's really what it is. I'm, right. I'm looking and at the time, Paul, and I, we have about a minute left. So I do want to make okay. sure that I do offer the people an opportunity if they do want to call in after the break to call in. You For can call sure. in at 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. If you have a question for the Reverend Paul Hesselbeck around or concerning your understanding of metaphysics, if you need some clarity around some terms, if you need some insight, this is the person to ask. I'm not putting it all on him as he's, you know, <laughs> but I respect his work. And I know that just from this conversation, you can tell that um, he's done the research. He's done the work. And when you do the work, you'll get the results. So if you want yep. to call in, please call in. We're going to be right back with Truth Transforms and make sure that you get some more information because we have some topics and questions that I'm going to ask him that will bring some great insight not only to you but questions i have personally we'll be right back with true transforms discover the power within unity online radio the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Before we continue with the show, I have to do my quick commercial. Just remember that you can tune in to our live stream at Christ Universal Temple every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. You can watch the service via our website, which is www.cutemple.org, C-U, the word temple.org, our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple, or our YouTube page, C-U Temple. We also have Monday through Friday 
daily inspiration for better living messages on our Facebook page. Again, noon central time, Monday through Friday. Matter of fact, I'm doing one today. I normally do Wednesdays and Fridays. We have a consciousness building call, 6 p.m. Central Time. You can go to the website to get more information about uh, the call, how to call in and how to tune in. Just a reminder that the first week of the Johnny Coleman Institute summer semester just started two days ago. My class is tonight, which is Treat Yourself to Life. I'm teaching an old classic book by Raymond Charles Barker. Uh, if you want to register for that class and you're listening live, you really need to do that by three o'clock because after that you won't be able to have me. I won't have my system to be able to get you connected to that class today at least, but you can do it for the next five weeks if you need to. So you can go to the church website, click on the classes tab, get the information. And if it's something you want to uh, attend, register for the class, get the material and continue to work on your own soul journey. One more thing, we're gonna be having, meaning we, meaning Christ Universal Temple, will have a outdoor service. We're still live streaming only, but we're gonna have a outdoor service. We're gonna build a stage in the parking lot, have people show up in their cars, every other parking space, put your lawn chairs or whatever you wanna do right next to your car, and we're gonna have a good time. It, 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 and that date is May 23rd, Sunday, May 23rd at 10.30 a.m. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, we would love to have you come and worship with us. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have sermons, we're gonna have music. We're going to have a great time. We're going to fellowship in a safe and responsible way. So now that we're back to talking to the Reverend Paul Hasselbeck, uh, Reverend Paul, I want you to um, clearly define for the listeners how you define principle and laws. Yep. And I would yep. add one more thing. You also have what you call rules of mind. Could you address yes. those three things, please? I sure will. But I think I ought to put my ad in here right now. So sure, if go people right ahead. want to check out what I'm doing, they can go to my website, paulhasselbeck.com. It's all pushed together, no spaces, paulhasselbeck.com. My contact information is there, my email address, so you can get that there if you want to reach out. And then also my uh, radio program, Metaph Metaphysical Romp 2, Metaphysical Romp 2, and that's the, the number two, not spelled out, dot com. And that, that's where you can find the programs I'm doing with the Reverend Doctors Bill and Cher Holton. And our programs are running about 20, 25 minutes long. We try to do them for the length of a commute by car, and uh, finally that's picking up again, right, Taylor? <laughs> People yes. are driving again. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let, let's take a quick dive into, so so what what is a principle? Uh, we could say what is a spiritual principle or what is a universal principle? Well, a principle is, is like a, a fact or a constant, and very, very similar to the constants we find in science and math, mathematics. So an example of a principle uh, would be the principle of benevolence, the principle of generosity. We could also name the 12 powers, the principle of faith, the principle of strength, or the power of faith, or the, or the power of, of strength. So it's a, a discrete fact. And that fact is not changeable and is unlimited. 
What I mean by that, I can use my power of faith in an unlimited number of ways. I can use my power of strength in an unlimited number of ways. So, so a principle is, is this, this concept that's not huge like some of, the, some of the premises we have, like there's only one power and one presence in the universe in my life, God the good omnipotence. That's a premise. You can see that that's a that's a big old concept where where a principle is a more discrete or smaller fact or or constant than a law. A law tells us how our minds work, and and here again, but they're unchanging or immutable, and they're always in play. If if you can, if, if someone tells you something is a spiritual law or a divine law, and you can discern that you can disobey that law, then you're no longer in a law. You're in a rule. So think about it this way. In our country, in every country, there are things called laws, but they're breakable. If a law is breakable, it's really more like a rule. And, and so most of us have heard of the, the rules of the road, which are really traffic laws. Right. So law gets a, little, get, gets a little bit lost in whether it's a law you can break or a law you can't break. But if it's breakable, then it's a rule. And I had to include that because there are things that Merle and Charles talked about as laws, but I could clearly decide not to do it. For example, there is something they call the law of denial, which they describe as the way in which affirmations and denials work. However, I can choose not to use a denial. And in fact, I meet a lot of Unity students or Tree students who are a little superstitious about using a denial. So that's a really clear example. And actually, I'm going to give you another one. And, and this makes a lot of ministers uh, not very happy with me. The law of tithing is not a spiritual law. It's not a universal law. It's not always in play because I can clearly choose not to tithe. I can, I can choose not to give any money. And, and my sarcastic thing I say about this is, living today, if tithing was a law, we would be getting automatic withdrawals from our bank account or from our charge cards. <laughs> you know what, what's funny? I just have to just pause here for a moment. I actually said that to to students maybe about 15 years ago and it was crickets in the room when I said mm -hmm. it. it's just funny because I said well I said what the term I use was tithing is a practice yes it's not a yes. law it's not a, a law I'm not it's, saying it's not a good practice I'm not saying it won't give you great results but it's a practice yeah. it's not a law and that's, yeah. there's and, a difference and, and what I would say, in addition to that, because that was brilliant, is 
It's a rule. And it's a damn good rule. <laughs> yes. yes. Right? Yes. Yes. It's, it's a good it's good practice. Absolutely. So, so that that I hope explains principles, laws, and rules. And I threw in their premise as a bonus. Thank you, thank you. Now I want to deal with a particular subject that I think really confuses students. I know I spent a lot of time in my classes explaining this one concept, and that is Unity and Charles and Myrtle's Fillmore's definition of substance, because it's all over the place. So yeah. in your book, you 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 tackle it in about three different, or you show how Fillmore taught it in three different ways, Charles Fillmore, and then right. you give some other ideas around it. Could you give your understanding of substance First, the old way, if that's possible, and then how you redefined it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I could say the old way anymore. Okay, However, just just do it with the new way, okay? Just for, okay, I was so, hoping for context, but let's not worry yeah, about so, it. So, so the ways in which I'm going to define substance for you, all of these ways are found in the writings. the, the problem is. The same term is being used for several different things that we could say are related but are not the same. So let's begin with the physical realm. Oh, and, and as soon as we get in, so the physical realm is changing. We, the fancy word we call that is a relative world. And the divine, that realm we call absolute and it doesn't change. And if you could see how I visualize these terms in my mind, you would see when I'm talking about the relative thing called substance, it wouldn't be capitalized. But if I was talking about the absolute thing that Myrtle and Charles called substance, it would be capitalized. And today, I've, I've gone into the practice of, of cop capitalizing every letter of a word that references the absolute. And that's because if, that, if, if I only was capitalizing the first letter of a word and it was the first word of a sentence, it would always be capitalized anyway. And so that confuses if Charles is talking about relative substance and it's the first word of the sentence, how would you know? You have to figure it out by context. Okay, so Gayla, let me get going. So, so there is something called physical substance, all lowercase. Right. A, a synonym for that could just be matter, M-A-T-T-E-R. It's matter. It's physical things. It's physical substance. There's that, okay? And matter changes, right? Right. Okay. And then there's another use of substance, which, we, which Charles and Merle called Mind substance, that's little m, mind substance. That's the substance of your mind or the substance of your consciousness. That is a term that is referring to our thoughts and feelings, our thoughts and feelings. Now, our thoughts changes, our change, our feelings change. So that's a little s substance. So it's really important when we're talking about the substance of our minds that we have that clarity. So there are two ways in which to understand substance in the changing realm. One is physical things, and the other is the, 
the thoughts and feelings in our mind. Then when we move to the unchanging realm, to the absolute realm, lo and behold, there's two ways in which Charles uses the word substance. And here, the first letter would be capitalized. And for me, I would capitalize every letter. Okay? So let's okay. get romping with that. Okay. okay. So, so one of the ways the word substance is understood in the absolute is a synonym for every divine idea. A synonym for every divine idea. And in that sense, we could, we could call it a synonym for God, which some people get upset about, some people don't. I just, I'm just, so I say, don't shoot me, I'm just reporting. Right. So, so that, that reference actually comes up in the revealing word where Charles defines the divine idea, substance is the divine idea of the underlying reality of all things. Well, the underlying reality of all things is divine idea. Mm -hmm. For everything that exists, there must be a corresponding divine idea or ideas. So there, we're seeing substance as a synonym for divine idea. And by the way, it's also a synonym for the word supply. Right. All right. Now, there's another way in which substance is used, which is very, very particular. It's, it, we could call it the divine idea or the, or the principle of perfect form. The divine idea or principle of perfect form. And, and what we mean by that, in order for anything in the physical realm to have form, there, there, there must be a divine idea that makes form possible, that is used to create form. And so we have this very particular definition of substance, which is basically the divine idea of form or perfect form. Mm -hmm. So those are the four ways in which Charles uses the term. Two are for the absolute realm. Two are for the relative realm. Well, that's how Johnny Coleman taught substance to everyone in the Universal Foundation for Better Living. She consistently would teach, and it's in our documentation, substance, the idea, and divine mind of perfect form. And they would like function in the universe as these attributes, functions in humanity as these particular attributes. So, yep. and it was the way to break it down. Now, I use my own definition because I'm, again, as a preacher, you know, you're always striving to figure out how to help people understand a thing. So I'll just right. say something like, God is no thing, so God could be anything in, in your experience. You yep. know, so, <laughs> so that's, you know, and I don't use the word nothing, I'll say no thing. Like, mm -hmm. can you imagine something that's no thing that can be anything? And so, and you shape and, f you shape and form the no thing by the way you think and feel. Right. And so the way the way I I say it, I don't say it much these days. Uh, God is the infinite possibility of all things, while at this moment is no thing until you use it. Right. Yeah. Right. 
I, I would agree wholeheartedly. So, you know, we have about nine minutes left. So I, I do want to ask you about a specific thing that I've always debated people around <laughs> the okay. unity movement and the UFBL because we teach the same thing. Is yep. Charles Fillmore's concept of regeneration because, you know, yep. it, was a, it was a, you know, he was a physical immortalist. And, yeah. you know, there are some people who still teach this concept. There are some people who don't. There are some people who still hold on to his, you know, uh, you know, for lack of terms, no sex. Uh, save the life Judas faculty energy to regenerate your body and, and for lack of terms, beam me up, Scotty, take it away. So uh, how do you tackle the term regeneration and how is that being dealt with in the unity movement as a whole? Okay, great question. It's another one of those terms. And, and let me give you a little context. The way in which I, I've studied the historic written texts is I have looked up every instance of the word regeneration in every published book by Myrtle or Charles. That's how I get my head wrapped around what they're trying to say. And I can clearly say that Charles was referring to several things when he talked about regeneration. The one people stick with is the one you talked about, regenerating the physical body. He clearly believed he could regenerate his physical body and live forever. In fact, there's an anecdotal term that I heard from, story that I heard from a minister who was at his bed, bedside when he died. And she reports he said he failed because he didn't, he wasn't successful at, at regenerating his body. However, there's another way he uses regeneration, which is about regenerating the spiritual body, which we, we can that it is useful today. And another way he talked about that was this regenerating Christ consciousness. And so those are three contexts in which he uses the re regeneration. The last two are very sim similar. And you, I can't talk about regeneration without talking about degeneration. No matter how much we can talk in unity that we don't have original sin, there is in the writings a belief around fall of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that process is called degeneration. And if we didn't degenerate, there wouldn't be a need to regenerate. And so this is where the 12 powers come in, is that we we can consciously use the 12 powers to raise our consciousness while we're living here on, on this earthly plane with, phys with physical form. And when I say raising consciousness, I say exactly what that is. And, and this is another area where we've been way too vague. I, I don't know if you've been, but we just talk about raising consciousness because nobody tells what it is or how to do it. Correct. So, we raise, so raising consciousness is about 
raising the overall quality of my thoughts, ideas, beliefs, images, feelings, emotions, perceptions, experiences, and attitudes. Those are the things that I'm aware of in my consciousness. And as I become aware of them, I can discern which ones are erroneous, which ones aren't, which ones used to work for me and don't work for me. And so so what we're doing, what I do to raise consciousness is I identify those that I want to change and I work on them using the 12 powers. And we raise a one thought, one idea, one belief, one feeling. By changing one of those at a time, we can raise our level of consciousness. Now, this is all happening in the context of a good meditation practice and a good prayer practice. Those two are fundamental. The practice of the active conscious use of the 12 powers is what we use to raise consciousness. But that's, you know, that's what regeneration is for. I, I love it. It's, it's funny how, you know, how in line we are in thinking. I remember telling some people when I was teaching the 12 powers that to me, the 12 powers teaches how total consciousness works. How do you elevate total consciousness? And, yeah. and I remember seeking to explain that language because I didn't have a reference point for it. Obviously, yeah. I should have checked your material, but I didn't have a reference point yeah. where I could point back and say, look, we're not just talking about a divine idea or divine ideas. Yeah. We're actually talking about how total consciousness works. So they had this concept. How does consciousness work? And he explained yeah. it through 12 attributes or 12 faculties yeah. or 12 ideas. If you understand yeah. these 12 ideas, you will understand how your mind works. Yeah. And... I've been trying to drive home that point for several years now. So yeah. I think that that's a great way of explaining it. And, you know, you know, okay. spirit and, and is guiding the, new ways of so explaining things. This, this is an area that I've been working on for several years. I, I have a specific system for using the 12 powers to raise consciousness. I call it the fundamentals of raising consciousness. It's something that I haven't written up yet, but I do teach at the end of every 12 hours class, and I also teach it uh, as a separate workshop. So, so yeah, you're, we're talking about the same thing, but let's get down to the specifics. Just like, let's just say people say, use denials and affirmations. Well, friend, I have a specific process that you use throughout the day, that I use throughout the day when I want to change a belief. And it includes denials and affirmations, but it's not just, go ahead, go out, use them. Well, right, right, it, right. It's not That's that easy. You have to have a system. Right. And a person is only as good as their systems. You know, outside of, and we only about have about a minute and a half left, but outside of teaching at a church and helping run the church, I'm also a martial artist, and I often have people come up to me and they'll tell me, teach me a kung fu move, and I'll have them get into a stance. Mm -hmm. Well, why you have me standing this way? Like, how can you throw a punch or a kick and you can't stand? You have to build. <laughs> <laughs> because if I show you something, you don't have the body, the strength, the agility, or the coordination to actually 
apply the technique. I'm just showing you something. You can't do anything with it. So, yep. you know, it's just funny how, to me, martial arts actually show me how to be a better metaphysician because in the because the, the challenge with metaphysics sometimes is it's abstract. It's not physical. You can't touch it. So sometimes I have to use a physical example to show people, okay, can you stand in this horse stance for two minutes? No. Okay. Yep. Then how are you trying to, to throw kicks like Bruce Lee? It makes yep. no sense. Well, and and what happens is we, we we tend to act like our bodies are not part of metaphysics. And that's right. because metaphysics is a definition of something beyond the physical. Well, in the in the unity system, we are we are divine and we are human. Our humanity is made up of my consciousness and my body. I ignore my body, I'm not going to get anywhere. And everything your body is doing is doing at at the behest of your consciousness. And right. so the movement of your body when you're doing martial arts is not divorced from metaphysics. That's acting like there is a place where God is not. Right, right. I right? completely agree. So I, so yeah. everybody become martial artists and metaphysicians. Now, we have 10 <laughs> seconds left, Reverend Paul. So um, we're going to have to pick this up. We're going to have to get another date to f- flesh this out. So make sure you touch base with Reverend Paul on his website and get the book, How Use the Truth You Know. Trust me, you will love it. God bless you, and I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Take care. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine? speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.